Hey, Miles. Yeah, Cam. Have you ever heard of Into the Wild? What are you talking about? We're going there next week. We're hunting, Cameron. It's the middle of hunting season. That's not the kind of wild I'm talking about, Miles, but yes, you're right. It's hunting season. Have no fear for when I'm alone I'll be better off than I was before I've got Hello, friends of the podcast, and welcome to Season 2 of Inconceivable Media. I'm your host, Cam. And I'm Miles. And this week, I, just as the hunting season is coming to an end, I decided to show Miles the film Into the Wild. Into the Wild is the film adaptation of the novel of the same name, written by John Krakauer, that was Really just him cashing in on the popularity of an article that he wrote about the life and death of Chris McCandless in the Alaskan backcountry. Whew. Directed by Sean Perm, or Sean Penn and starring Emily Hirsch as Chris, <laughs> the film is an account of Chris McCandless' life as a tramp, quote-unquote, and his personal journey to reach Alaska and live off the land. Mm-hmm. Miles, did you like this movie? Um, well, I think I really, really, really enjoyed it. Yeah? Yes, I, I have to say this was an excellent movie. I loved it. Honestly, I think this is probably some of the best camera work I've ever seen showing the wilderness. Mmm, mm, yeah, I gotcha. Not to mention all of the other things that, believe it or not, actually really speak to me. Um, I'm not going to get into spoilers, but he does visit a, uh, one place that I have family in. And uh, I do want to go back there and see them every now and then in a certain state. So uh, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> we'll get into that. Nice. So that sounds like um, you would highly recommend this movie as well. Absolutely. And I will say that I strongly recommend this movie to uh, one of my friends that uh, I know. And you actually know him as well, mm -hmm. uh, David. He is currently living, ah. for the most part, off the grid. Uh, he is still working and does kind of live partially in society, mm -hmm. but he has definitely taken a big step back. And honestly, I think I'm probably going to show this movie to him just to make sure that he understands what I think is the most important lesson of this movie. <laughs> Do you want to say what that lesson is or are we going to wait a little bit? <laughs> um, I You know what? I'll say it. it's the last quote at the end of the movie mm -hmm. and that quote comes from uh chris mccandles directly and that is happiness is only real if it is shared mm, yes right that is <clears throat> i mean a good lesson it's one that i definitely take to heart as well it's one of the reasons why i do not like to go on vacations by myself that's also because it's hard for me to make friends if I don't have someone to help me, you know, make introductions and things like that. So traveling by myself can be hard. <laughs> oh, I, I understand that. I, I don't have that problem at all. Mm -hmm. uh, there have been times where I was on flights and that, and I've gotten to know people so well that uh, I even once got invited to a bachelor party. <laughs> wow. Yeah. He was just so happy and ecstatic and I mirrored his uh, enthusiasm and everything. And well, he invited me. I never went, but 
You know, I was I mean, like, no, no, nah, nah, that will cost you too much money. But, you know, go have fun, man. Enjoy it. But good now, person. Good shall, person. Shall we go into the spoiler territory? I think now is a good time. Excellent. S- see you in a bit. I don't know. Is Enjoy this, some. Does en- this mean Pearl Jam? Yeah. I no. Think. <laughs> yep. Enjoy some good old Eddie Vedder droning. When I walk beside her, I am the better man. When I look to leave her, I always stagger back again. Once I built an ivory tower so I could worship from above. When I climb down to be set free. Alright, welcome back. Well, you all know the drill now, so let's get back into it. As we mentioned earlier, Into the Wild is an account, or piecing together, of the two years uh, Chris McCandless was living off the grid, culminating in his death in the Alaskan wilderness. From the burning, his money, and his ID, to him completely failing to survive in the wild, the film covers the people and places of significant importance during Chris's journey and the impact he had on them. Are you sure it was just two years that he did from leaving his house to uh, it's a little, being off the grid? It's a little over two years. Okay. Um, so we have his graduation from college, which is like May, May, June of 1990. And then... His body is discovered at the beginning of September of 1992. No, 1992. Yes. Oh, you meant 89 was his graduation year. No, he graduated in 1990. So he graduates, he finishes college in 1990. He has the nice going away dinner with his family and everything. And, you know, we're going to give you a new car. And then he buggers off to just be a tramp like that is you know he takes uh, on that moniker alexander super tramp right i i would much rather the term free man of the land but uh okay I whatever f- floats your goat <laughs> well i mean i feel that at the time that tramp is like the term that was most indicative of what he I almost feel that maybe some people might say more like the gypsy lifestyle, but no one says that in the movie. No. <laughs> I feel like gypsy is a little bit different as well, because that uh, the more gypsy lifestyle that I understood was uh, they were still involved in society. It's mm-hmm. just that they were nomadic. They were wandering around doing things. Exactly. Whereas, sort of like a, a circus, I would say. Yeah. Whereas the whole kind of aspect of the tramp lifestyle as is kind of found about with the with the first couple that he meets and they say oh you're a, you're a leather tramp because you're huffing it on foot whereas we're rubber tramps because we're driving around in an rv anyways well let's let's continue with that actually i'd recommend okay there's a lot of things we can say because i have a few things about the story if so we you just want... kind of go through the story sure 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 i mean since we're right here and we, we can talk about him first running into rainy and jan yes rainy and jan uh, I really loved when he ran into them and they started to talk and, you know, figure each other out mm-hmm. because uh, Rainy actually goes and puts his hand on Jan, you know, kind of yeah. lovingly. And then and she, she kind just... of recoils and like pushes him away. And uh, it kind of sparked a whole conversation between Rainy and Chris. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, Alexander, because he changed his name. Yep. And, uh, you know, he kind of helps him out and... 
brings uh, brings them closer together. They were kind of had a distance between uh, each other, the, the couple, and he kind of fills the gap and kind of acted like a magnet to get them closer together, which I thought was pretty awesome. And then he just disappears into the night. Yes. <laughs> and that's when I noticed that this is a movie that I kind of had a sl- somewhat of a small idea about. Um, mm-hmm. It wasn't about so much being alone. Mm-hmm. It's about relationships with people. Mm-hmm. And that's where it's kind of important. And I really liked the, the what they're showing for it so far. Well, the interesting thing about that, and I mean, I have to say this right now. I liked the movie too. But I have to be frank and say that I do not actually like Chris McCandless or perhaps I should say I do not like how his story has been enshrined in popular culture. There seems to be a whole lot of kind of hero worship built around him. Perhaps maybe I should say that's actually I am do not like John Krakauer because he's the one who first wrote the article um, the Death of an Innocent, I think, is what he titled the original article that was just about, oh, they found a body in the back of a bus, and, you know, let's find out where it came from and everything. And then he spun that into the book, which is where the movie kind of come from. Um, and it's really the book that has kind of, like, taken Chris's story and turned it, this into, like, this this idyllic kind of thing. And I And I... I Personally, I don't agree with the way it's been built up. So let me ask you this. Do mm-hmm. you like Chris as a character? Mm, there are parts that I do like. I appreciate the things that he does when he is around people, actually. But when he is on his own, I kind of look at him and I just think, you're just a privileged white dipshit. <laughs> To be fair, though, Cameron, I'm going to say this to be fair. I'm going to devil's advocate you here. When you are living completely on your own, Mm -hmm. you kind of have to keep that attitude because nothing is going to be given to you. You have to take it. That's true. And he absolutely needed that to live. Um, Personally, I look at him and he's a kid. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say it. He's practically a child. He's still wet behind the ears when he leaves. Because yeah, he's, he he's only like 22, 20. 22, I think. Because he's... Oh, he was 20 when he left. 20, 21. I think he's... a. He had to have been older than that. Because all the accounts that I read say that, like, according to his birth records and everything, once they knew him, was that he was, like, a little over 24 years old by the time he was dead. Yeah, and how so, long had he been traveling for? A little over two, two, two years. years. A little over two so, years. <laughs> uh, okay, yeah, that does make sense then. Well, so it could be 20, 20 uh, so like, or 23. Yeah, I would say He's like still a 22. Kid. Yeah. Uh, like, I'm going to be totally honest with you. Being in the trades mm-hmm. and being 30 years, 32 years old now. Well, I'm getting old. Uh, people who are younger come in and they have like a headset. They have an ideology and they kind of think they know how the world works. Mm-hmm. And... Unlike the military where, you know, because you are a trained soldier, they have to break you down and rebuild you to become what they need you to be. Uh, We do a more subtle approach of, hey, look, this is how things are done. Why do we do it this way? This is exactly how. It's not that it works. We actually go through and try to show you exactly how it works. So that way you understand, you know, you don't put three nails in the end of a two by four when attaching two ends together. Mm. It, you know, you, you only put two. 
it's all you need and it works. So yes, he did not know as much as say my friend, I'm going to kind of compare him to David a little bit. <laughs> he doesn't know as much as my buddy David does because David's, he's probably just as smart as Chris, mm -hmm. if not a little bit smarter. Uh, when it comes to wisdom, David is probably on par with Chris. Mm -hmm. He's lucky though that he's got a friend like me and my parent, my dad, and then his dad as well is also a good wealth of knowledge. And uh, he's able to figure everything out and live mostly off-grid. And he's not doing the full off-grid, mm -hmm. like the full away from society, which is, uh, on, in my opinion, terrifying. But And, uh, and infinitely more challenging. Oh, absolutely. Um, <laughs> if anybody wants to know what it's like to try to survive on your own, and you're, you like video games... I'm going to plug it here. Check out The Long Dark. Mm, that yes. is a game that will show you just how difficult living on your own is, uh, especially in the uh, survival mode, because mm -hmm. it is difficult, even on the easy settings. And that's just a game. They say, don't use these skills in real life. But, uh, you know, <laughs> you're still, it shows you just how terrifying the cold can be, getting sick, uh, trying yep. to, to harvest an animal and get as much meat off of it as possible and, and keep it. All of that is so difficult. So in my opinion, uh, the way that they showed Chris, yeah, he was a bit cocky. He mm -hmm. was. But everybody is that age. That's true. So that is very true. I don't think he was a bad character. I think he was a good one. Oh, I, no, I, I'm not saying anything about, you know, poorly written or anything like that. I'm just saying sort of like when we were doing Final Space and I talked about how... Oh, he's not that relatable to you. Uh, in a way, sh yes. <laughs> I mean, again, it kind of goes back to like the same things that I was saying where um, I found Gary insufferable because of his mannerisms and things like that, where I was just thinking if I was around somebody like that, on a regular basis, I would probably figure out a way to reduce my amount of time with them. I'd probably start hitting them or being like abusive towards them in some way <laughs> to express my. <laughs> so I, I get that. I get that. And I, I've worked with a lot of younger guys, too. Um, I find the best way to deal with younger people is to get that you have to really look at what your relationship is with them. Mm -hmm. So uh, for instance, if I met somebody like this and I have to work with them on something, um, I'm going to put myself in a role in, in a manner. So that way he's not going to be like that to me. Mm, I see. I'm not going to be his best friend mm -hmm. because that's, he's going to act like that around me with his, because that's the way he acts with his best friend. Right. Uh, will I act like more of a an authority figure? Maybe. It kind of depends on the situation. Uh, maybe I'll act like a bigger brother to teach him stuff because that changes your uh, their outlook on you. Mm -hmm. And then they become less pain in the butt, more, oh, I'm learning things from this guy. He's useful. I'm, I want to make sure that uh, I get everything I can from him. Mm -hmm. Sort of like with uh, one of the next characters that pops up, one of my favorites as well. Played by Vince Vaughn. <laughs> oh, you're talking about Wayne. Uh, Wayne, right? Yeah. yeah. Wayne was an awesome character. Wayne uh, was great. Honestly, every time Vince Vaughn pops up in a non-comedy role, uh, it, it always blows me away. 
he's kind of typecast when it comes to comedy, playing mm-hmm. a very similar role for, you know, things like uh, Dodgeball. Dodgeball is the main one. And uh, <laughs> uh, the other one he was There in? was Wedding Crashers. Yeah, that was um, very similar as well. What the heck was it? Um, oh, shoot. What the heck was the, the one where he was like in a fraternity or something? Old school, I think, was the oh, one. Oh, yeah, yeah, old school. Um, yeah, he's he plays, in my opinion, he can, he can play a very similar character. Mm-hmm. Kevin was Zach Galifianakis. Really? Yeah, that was oh, the... That was, well, that was, that, was, that was the couple that he meets. Um, or Oh, no. no right, Kevin. Kevin. Kevin's the guy who teaches him the... Right. The hunting stuff, right? Yeah, right. Okay, that yeah. makes sense. Mm-hmm. And I, there's another guy that I... He's blowing me away because I know Zach Allen for... I know Zach G from uh, his comedy stuff. Yeah, right. And he's nothing like this character that he's portraying here. Yeah, there's not really a lot of comedy in this movie. I mean, there is, but there isn't. Yes. Uh, but you know what? I did really like... Uh, this whole relationship he had because you can see that when uh, Chris is telling Wayne his whole idea of what he wants to do, mm-hmm. Wayne gives him that look and that look says, are you a moron? Yeah, right. But also like, oh my God, he's going to do the dream. Because let's admit it, a lot of us guys <laughs> kind of have that similar ideology at some point of our life where we're like, you know what? We don't want to deal with people anymore. We want to live off grid. We we want nothing to do with anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it does kind of pull at a lot of us. Maybe it's a little farther for others. I mean, some people, it's a lot closer. But mm-hmm. everybody, I believe that everybody has that uh, that pull. And you know what? If you're a person who doesn't at all and you never have, send a message. Let us know. <laughs> that would be interesting to hear, especially like this was something else that I was thinking is that this is a fairly common thing that you see in movies or stories is that you'll have someone who's disgruntled with what they're doing or whatever and then they just kind of throw off their shackles or whatever and free themselves in whatever it is that they want to do whether it be going out and living off the land by yourself and proving that you can do it and that sort of thing or just being like i've always wanted to cook do you know how to cook no, but I've always wanted to cook, so I'm just going to throw everything out and I'm going to be a chef. Or you're forgetting the most important one that's coming up now, being that strong, independent businesswoman who basically is running the whole company and she moves back to the small town and meets a uh, oh lumberjack guy and oh you know God. decides to live with him and start up a store of some sorts <laughs> during Christmas. Oh, God. You know... Hallmark. Oh, God. It's here. You know, we watched Jingle All the Way. I mean, there are other movies that I've pitched that are Christmassy that I feel would both be ones that we actually enjoy because those are ones that I just cannot watch. And they make too many of them every year. Have you you've seen the memes, I'm sure, which like shows all of the life for Hallmark movies and it's the or all of the actresses, yes. and they all look the, yep. almost identical. Yep, and the same with the actors, too. Yep. I think I remember that one because there was just like, oh, look at that, uh, a hetero white couple, a hetero white couple, a hetero white couple. Oh, my God, biracial. What? So, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this here. Uh, Dana has recommended a almost Hallmark movie for us to watch. Oh, dear. So maybe we'll do that for her. Uh, Dana is my girlfriend, so uh, yeah. 
She she did <laughs> what recommend. Did she recommend? It. I'm not going to say the name oh, yet. Okay. But uh, we'll we'll <laughs> we'll consider it. If you guys want us to, if you guys want to torture me because I give too many puns, by all means, send us a send us. We should do a hashtag. Hashtag let no, not let it snow. Hashtag inconceivable snow. There we go. Or incon snow. I like inconceivable snow. That's not that. Uh, that's not that big. Hashtag inconceivable snow. Well, throw that up on uh, Facebook, uh, Instagram, Twitter, Twitter <laughs> and we'll uh, probably catch it. We might well have to get rid of Twitter with all the stuff going on there, but that, we'll that's okay. That we use Instagram way more oh, yeah. than we use Twitter, and that's okay because we don't. Uh, I so, think we're we're getting a little too. We're into, getting far away yeah. here. So let's go back on and talk about uh, one of the other important things that happens here uh, mm-hmm. with Wayne and Kevin and Chris. Uh, here is where he is going to do the most important thing in his journey and where I think he partially failed a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, that is... This is getting his learn. knowledge, right? Yeah. Yeah. You, you got to be very wise when you're out in the woods. Uh, you have to be able to take what you want and you have to know what to do with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, for and, he doesn't, and he doesn't have any like actual physical experience either. He has all these notes written down and he talks to Kevin and Kevin gives him all of these explanations. But there's something missing, something that we both know because <laughs> we've had to do what Chris does, although not in the same weather conditions. He actually, I'm not going to lie, uh, when I was watching that, I was like, oh, he's doing that weird you know, we might as well talk about it. Uh, so when he when he kills the moose, yeah, he he he's up in there and he has a rifle and uh, his rifle is. Do you know what kind it is? Because I do. It's a twenty-two. He's got a Remington. Yep, Remington twenty-two. Yeah, I that was so funny enough when I was first watching this, thinking back because we'd already done some hunting out with um, out with Gord and I, you know, he'd already been telling stories and things like that. And so I remember watching this, thinking to myself, he killed a moose with a twenty-two. How's that possible? And then I'm sitting there going, oh, the stories I've heard about what you can kill with a twenty-two. So that part, yeah, I believe that. I bet it probably sucked for the moose, but, you know, whatever. And then, so, and then everything after that, I'm just like, oh, God. Oh, God. What is he doing? Yeah, so uh, <laughs> he does kill the moose. And I'm going to say it. I don't think he shot center mass. I'm pretty sure he didn't. He probably shot for the ear mm-hmm. uh, because that moose died quick. Mm, so I right. think he was given some good advice from Kevin when it comes to killing animals. You know, save as much meat as possible. You're not going for a trophy here. Aim for the head. Mm-hmm. So uh, he did manage to kill that moose. And it is weird the way that he starts cutting everything up. Mm-hmm. But you do have to remember that uh, you can't skin and gut a moose like we do. Because when we do it, we generally have something to lift it up mm-hmm. or yep. we have uh, other people around to help yep. us flip it and maneuver it. Or and then on top it's of that, cold. it's cold. Yes. Yeah. That's the other really important <laughs> thing. So when he was doing that at first, I was like, that's a little odd that he's doing this. Mm-hmm. And then when I started to realize that, uh, oh yeah, you know, he's leaving the, the hide on yeah. so that way the bugs don't get in, mm-hmm. which was genius. Uh, that was really smart of them to show. Now, my, uh, my next thing is, uh, it's actually gripe with what he does next. Mm-hmm. He takes it down to the river mm-hmm. and starts building his fire there. 
That you, was not smart. He probably should have taken everything he needed over to the carcass mm-hmm. and built it closer. Um, yeah, because you keep moving back and forth, and that's just time you're losing. Yes, and especially uh, taking your meat and laying it down on the ground, things are going to get in it, mm-hmm. which he found out. Uh, so I don't know if they... Like, maybe one thing that we can actually do with this movie is, like, watch a documentary mm-hmm. or, like, try to figure out what actually happened here. Yeah, because there's, uh, there's been like, a few... Like, do, do a, sort of a different take yeah. on it, right? Because, again, um, I mean, another thing with, you know, how, like, memorialized this is in history at this point, there has been a fair amount of stuff with people kind of rediscovering and stuff like that or again just trying to piece together what exactly happened so we have the accounts of the people that he ran into and we have you know diaries that he wrote and things like that but chris for some things especially this is like certain things that i've found recently where um turns out a lot of people in alaska are do not fondly remember chris Probably for a lot of obvious reasons, like the fact that he wasted a moose out of season. <laughs> he did, but he wasn't prepared for this whole journey. No. Which is the sad thing about it. I mean, that's kind of, you know, I'm going to say that this is sort of my next real gripe about this movie, but I understand, well, not so much the movie, of of his actions, I'm going to say. Mm-hmm, right. Um, like, he wanted to give everything he had before he broke away from society. Uh, you want to try to give it to other people so other people can survive, mm-hmm. which I thought was good. You know, that mm-hmm. that's, that's honorable. That's an honorable action. Mm-hmm. Uh, he actually took his... Um, yeah, everything that he had, all of his all life of his savings. Money, and he said, give this to somebody, give this to people for food, essentially. because yeah, he sent it to Oxfam, and Oxfam is a humanitarian um, organization, and generally speaking, one of the things that they do is, like, food relief and that sort oh, of yeah. stuff. So, you know, I thought that was very noble of him to do. But uh, he was definitely not prepared to be out there. His food supplies ran low. Uh, He didn't really have a whole lot to begin with. He went in there with rice and a book. Rice and books, yeah. And and the 22, yeah, but... But still, like you... Again, uh, one thing that actually... I just started to rewatch Community... And uh, we got up to the debate episode, and it really does kind of come proof to here. A man living on his own dies 23 and a quarter years. uh, A man on his own dies 23 and a quarter years uh, earlier than a man in a society Mm. or in a community. And that's sort of a rule of thumb type thing, right? It's not every, it's not a guarantee, but generally speaking, if you do not have a community, you are, you're in trouble. Mm-hmm. You can't hold all of that knowledge yourself. You can't do everything on your own. You do generally need help from other people. You're very fortunate if you can and do, or if you can. Mm-hmm. But like, that's one thing I do want to hit home here is just because you think you can doesn't mean you actually can. Well, and it's you might have that knowledge. You might not have the ability. Yeah, but I just wanted to uh, touch on what you were saying about you do a whole lot better when you're in a community. Because the interesting thing as we're watching the movie is that every time Chris is with people, he is part of society. He is doing better when he's with 
um, Rainy and Jan. He yep. is doing pretty well. He is able to like kind of bring them together or um, or well, as as Rainy says the first time that they meet and he talks about how you showing up, you know, things were kind of calm, but uh, very much kind of no, tempered. They and were quiet. They were quiet. Yes, they were quiet. They, were calm. they weren't they were calm. Quiet. They were quiet. And then you showed up. And of course, we find out later after she le- after he leaves that she was disturbed because he reminds her of her son. And, you know, that's why she was all shaken up. But then he's able to kind of bring her out of her shell to uh, help mend things in that way. And then when he sees them again, um, when they're now part of a, a community, City, right? Yeah. yeah. And they're doing really well. Um, but then when she tells him the story of, you know, what happened to her son and, how you know everything it is and but it again just kind of goes to show that he does really well when he is with people and then when he's on his own everything just kind of goes to shit for varying types of reasons like when he gets the crap beaten out of him when he's uh trying to get from place to place on a on a on train railroad. so uh <laughs> It's actually really funny because Dana was watching this with me and she was like, I don't think that they would do that kind of stuff in Canada. And I'm sitting there and going, I'm like, uh, yeah, yeah, they, they would. They absolutely, in fact, <laughs> that's exactly what they would do because one thing that he points out is uh, liability. don't be on here because it will screw over our liability. Yep. And that's completely understandable. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, I kind of hate it because... You know, these people are trying to get around and trying to find where they need to be. And it sucks. Um, it sucks that other people have to basically protect, I guess, the interests of society mm-hmm. over top of the interests of these individuals. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, like, it, I guess it does make sense. If something happened and he was in that train, uh, the train company could get sued by whatever family members there are or you know, things, things happen. Mm-hmm. If he fell out and got ran over, yep, uh, he could technically sue the company, but mm-hmm. I don't know. It, it sucks, but it, it's very true. Uh, the weirder, th- well, other interesting thing about that, and perhaps this might not have necessarily been what they meant when they were saying you will not threaten our liability, but in this day and age, in the year of our Lord 2022... <laughs> I hear someone say, you know, this will threaten our liability. And I sit there and I go, yeah. And considering that the train system of North America used to be this huge network that everybody used. And now there's like one national rail company that passengers can take in Canada. There's another one like CP and CN are under CN now. And in the States... There's like three that covers the whole country and some lobbyists will take any excuse they can to try to squeeze them out even further. So, yeah, the little guy might be a little vicious with anything that might threaten his his, his livelihood. His livelihood. Oh, absolutely. But you know what? It was kind of an important uh, lesson for him to learn. Because mm-hmm. Dana was saying to me, she was like, oh, the train stopped. They know somebody's on there. He better get off. Like, get off right now and run. Mm-hmm. Don't get caught. And then, of course, he gets dragged off. <laughs> yeah, because he so. wasn't thinking about that either. No. <laughs> Lots of he wasn't thinking. 
<laughs> well, it's not so much that he wasn't thinking. He he needed to figure this out the hard way. I That's, think is a better way to put it. Yeah. So, um, uh, sort of like he needed to figure out the uh, one of the harder ways when he got to Canada. He was looking at getting a passport. Oh yes. I mean, uh, somehow he... he went into a shelter and he was like, "I lost my ID. I've got mm-hmm. nothing." And they're like, "Oh well, uh, we can help you out with that. Here's some resources." And he puts his stuff in the locker. And he goes out and kind of walks around and he remembers, oh yeah, I totally remember why I hated all this. And he grabs his stuff and leaves. And then uh, they call him the Wonder Tramp, right? Yeah, right. Um, it's, uh, it's just really interesting. I mean, this is where we're getting closer to the specific character that to me um, all of a sudden made me kind of not really like Chris as a person. And that is when he goes and he spends time with Ron. Um, you know, the the old man and uh what, the, wasn't his last name like Andrews or something? Well like Ron Franz is Franz, the name that they so interesting thing here. So I mean John Krakauer went and he interviewed people to so that he could write the book. I mean, he did a fair amount of research as well for writing the article that he had written as well. But the actual diving into and getting the accounts and everything like that that he does for the book and therefore for the movie, he goes back and he visits a whole bunch of people. So these are all based off of real people. Some of some of their names have been changed because they asked them to. Ron is one of those people. Uh, Russell Fritz was his actual name. Um, But the, the significance of the relationship that they have was effectively true. Like him making the belt and everything like that while he was with him and the whole, how much, Ron cares about him and even with the whole you know I'll adopt you I don't have anybody left in my family and again it's like when he's with people he actually does really well and he does have significant impacts on them and this is why I say things like I find Chris to be a very selfish person because he has so many good things going for him in a way and he just kind of casts them off for for what for what reason he actually tells you the reason in the movie uh it was written in a oh oh yeah when he when he when he's talking about his mother and that his mother and dad his mother and father when they graduated and that because he was watching the video of them he says you uh you graduated and you knew everything you what laid before you you kind of had an idea where you wanted to go and what you wanted to do. But at the end of the day, you have no idea how much you've hurt, how many people you've actually hurt, how many children you've let starve in that in the process to get to where you are going. Mm. So he kind of recognized that if he was going to stay in society, he probably would become one of those people. And he doesn't, in my opinion, he doesn't figure he could live with himself if he became that. And the weird thing about that still is that he ends up hurting people anyways. Um, Because one of the interesting things when I was doing the research was to find out, so what happened when people found out after the fact? And in the case of Ron Franz, or Russell Fritz in this case, he did wait for him to come back. And it's like a year later or something, 
and he was helping out two hitchhikers and he was talking about um, Chris and then one person says, oh, wait a minute, I think I know who you're talking about. I've got some bad news for you. He died in Alaska. And it's like, well, how do you know that? I read the article, the first article that uh, that Krakauer wrote. And it's like, I read that article and yeah, your friend's not coming back. And then he started drinking again. Oh, that's sad. Yeah. So that is the type of thing where that's why I say that, again, hate is a strong word, but I'm not happy. <laughs> but you know what? At the end of the day, did he mean to die? Like, did he poison himself and try to kill himself? No. I don't think so. No. So the fact that he got he hurt somebody because of his death, I don't think that's, uh, that's a worthy re- reason to dislike somebody. Yeah, and that's fair. I just... He probably did intend to eventually go back. Mm-hmm. It's just that he wanted to stay out here and find himself first. Find himself and then come back and do it. I mean, I will say, though, that there are aspects to him that I did appreciate, especially um, when he was in Slab City and, um, and Tracy, uh, played by Kirsten Stewart... Who nailed that role? Uh, Kristen Stewart had, uh, as everybody knows, is Belle from Twilight. And that role was not good. And uh, let me tell you, she has done amazing with this. Uh, and she actually will be starring in that said movie that I was telling Cameron about, the Christmas one. Oh, I think I so, know what movie that is. <laughs> so we'll, we'll think about it. But anyways, yeah, no, I think she nailed that role there. And I do like how they presented everything. Mm-hmm. So my question is, if you've been re- doing the research, mm-hmm. did he actually sleep with her? Nope. Oh, no, that's good. No, that's really he, good. Yeah. See, like the... I think that's very respectable then because <laughs> she was actually like 16 at the time and he was what, 21, 20? So he would have been like 23, 23 yeah. around that time, I think. So like way Age? too old for her. <laughs> I mean, that age difference. Well, okay. If, if we're talking like 10 years later and they're 10 years older i sit there and i feel that six years of age isn't that huge of a difference once you're at that point so i mean if i'm 30 and someone who's like 24 or 25 or something like that wants to uh be in a relationship with me of that sort i would probably just be like okay yeah that's fine (laughs) but she's 16 you're right like the world moves very differently when you're under the age of 20 compared to when you're over like honestly Mm -hmm. i don't even like the idea of being 21 dating a 19 year old it's just too big (laughs) of a difference those two years are huge even when i was in high school i knew some people that were dating like university students and i just sat there and i was like why yeah why are they with you that's the real question. Why are you with them? But really, why are they with you? <laughs> Anyways, I'm very, uh, I'm very happy to hear about that. <laughs> yeah, that was something else that I was curious about too. Because I was like, did they put that in the movie because they, you know, don't necessarily want to ruin the character that they're creating? And then, of course, I went and I looked this up, and I, f- based off of accounts, like even talking to his family and things like that, like talking to Kareen, his sister, portrayed by Jenna Malone. We got a nice um, uh, reunion of sorts for any uh, longtime listeners. If you remember back to when uh, I showed Kim the film The Dangerous Lives of Alter Boys, 
Jenna Malone and Emile Hirsch were uh, connected in that movie, too. Oh. Yeah. But um, she was one of the big sources for finding out who was Chris before he went off because they were, you know, really, they were close and like they, they knew everything about each other. Yeah. Um, not all siblings have that connection, but some do. And so she talked about how he like never even dated like he did not seem to i almost kind of wonder if if this was a modern story someone happening doing this today that they would identify as asexual yeah honestly i could see that he uh he had goals in mind and they didn't really involve people mm-hmm. so being asexual that makes sense i mean cuz it's clear when he's with tracy that he enjoys being around her but it's the same way he that he no enjoys sex. <laughs> he, he, he enjoys being around her the same way he enjoys being with other people, too, I found. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I say that as another asexual anyways, so it's like, that's what I'm seeing. Exactly. <laughs> that no, is I, the, that is the act- worldview I'm projecting onto him. I can, act, I can see that. That makes sense uh, to me. Because he never really did... It never really showed him having any real relationships or sexual or romantic with anybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe with her a little bit, but I mean, but how much love of... is a different? Like, there's many different forms of love, right? Yeah, like, but how uh, much of that is him, and how much is that her? You know, really, really just wanting that. You know, as Rainey says, where he's just like. Sh- that girl is about ready to, you know, mount a fence post. You need to go and do something. <laughs> and that was that was that was an excellent uh, quote. Oh, but even then, with Rainy and Jan, the first time, like <clears throat> Chris isn't dumb. He knows kind of what people want or the sort of things that they're going after, and he clearly does not have those same aspirations. Nope. Because he doesn't seek them out, ever. And when it happens to him, he's just kind of like, what excuses can I find to uh, tastefully turn you down? <laughs> so, uh, let... I did like that. And you know what? She did learn a couple of really good lessons from him. But yeah, like you said, whenever he is in... Uh, Whenever a community. He, whenever a community. he deals with community, yeah. he really does shine because he wants to drive it in the right direction. Uh, it's, it's actually really funny how everything lined up here because David and I were texting before we started to watch this, and he actually had a really good point. Um, is this is more about his, um, I shouldn't say experiments. Like he is, this is something that he has been planning to do for a long time. Well, yeah, he actually started... Uh, Back in like, because I think as long like as I've known, summer, uh, he really he really went for it. Um, mm-hmm. I don't want to talk about his story on air, right? But, I just uh, I mean, as long as I've known you and I and I've known him, that is something that I've heard about. Yes, he's so. always wanted to pull himself out of uh, urbanite ideologies, essentially. Mm-hmm. But he did say to me, he said, uh, you know. We, as society, have to start thinking like Amazonian and Pacific Island tribes who refuse modern society. Maybe not the technology, but more in the way that we interact with each other in the world. 
Mm. And honestly, I said, that's actually not a terrible idea. That, that mm -hmm. makes a lot of sense. The way that we've structured our society has sort of kind of, in my opinion, the way that he's presenting it uh, leads to our very lousy fair, I guess you could say, mm -hmm. um, destruction of the world. Yeah. And sort of like that, we accept it because we don't know any other way of having what we want and need without taking it from something else instead of making it ourselves. From that perspective, what did you feel about his parents, um, Billy and Walt, portrayed by Marcia Gay Harden and the late William Hurt? What did you feel about that and the little glimpses we got of them both in what we see when, you know, he's at the dinner with them and they're presenting him with a new car. And then what we hear as Kareen is talking about what their life was like growing up. So I have to say that I kind of see my parents in them a little bit. Like not, <laughs> definitely not to the extent that they're showing in the movie, but I do mm -hmm. kind of see it. And it's not just my dad's mustache. <laughs> uh, but... Uh, you know, like, the thing that separates uh, them from my parents is especially when his dad was like, look, we're going to buy you a car. My dad wouldn't really do that because him and I both have that ideology of you have one that works. Mm -hmm. Why do you want something else? Like, what's the purpose? Mm -hmm. It would make sense if it was like, oh, you need a truck because you do things that require a truck. Mm -hmm. Or you need a van because you require things that you do things that require a van. But... Just like, here's a new car because, well, you succeeded. Mm -hmm. That's not really what my dad does. This is um, your milestone. This is your reward for reaching it. My milestone? <laughs> In your case, I guess. But for everyone else, it's just yeah. a regular milestone. So, uh, no, uh, but I, I do like his ideology of like, no, I don't need a new car. This one works fine. And her mom is all like, well, what if it... What if it blows up on you? No, it's not going to blow up. Because How is that I'm going to happen with any other vehicle? You know, like, I do understand <laughs> that, like, there's a huge push towards getting electric vehicles. And that's great. I'm all for it. I mean, electric but, vehicles are nice. You know, but, having an electric bus as opposed to, like, a diesel bus. That is also another good idea. But, mm. but, but. my thing is, building new vehicles requires a lot of resource, time, yep. and energy. Mm -hmm. If we just reuse the ones that we do have now, we try to keep them on the road as long as possible. Mm -hmm. And we could even do some small changes to make them more fuel efficient. Mm -hmm. uh, one thing that I've looked into for my truck was actually a hydrogen on-demand system, which mm. takes uh, distilled water yep. and turns it into carbon, or sorry, into uh, hydrogen and oxygen. Yeah, it separates them. It'll actually push that into your fuel line for you mm -hmm. and use that as well as your gasoline to help burn it a little bit more uh, efficiently. It costs cost you less money. It gives mm -hmm. you a lot of horsepower. Um, <laughs> so it is a little harder on the engine, but it's just a good idea. But simple things <clears throat> like that could easily help us all out. I mean, I've said before, because other people have kind of made it known to me that the electric vehicle, as in the personal electric vehicle, is a bit of a poison pill because we don't need more cars on the road. We need systems that can massively move lots of people to from, you know, over long distances like 
trains, like buses, exactly. like public mm-hmm. transportation needs to be more invested in. Mm-hmm. And one thing, again, I, I hate bringing him back up all the time, but David did say and made a great point <laughs> is uh, instead of investing in these battery powered buses, because those batteries are going to degrade, right. they're going to break down and they have to get replaced. And first of all, that's very bad for the environment. Mm-hmm. And also it's going to be expensive to do. Yep. Why don't we just rebuild the tram system that we had Mm -hmm. for buses? And why didn't we just upgrade the system that we had here in Edmonton in the first place? Exactly. That would have (laughs) saved, like, uh, uh, we both agreed that it wasn't a perfect system because uh, the the arms would come off all the time and Mm -hmm. they'd have to re-put them back on. I mean, again. But I'm sure that there's a system that they could have that's going to to be more effective for that. Mm -hmm. And it it could be an easy fix, too. Yeah, but I mean, the other thing with that, too, because I remember my dad just saying, like, oh, well, they took out the trams and then they just bought a whole bunch, replaced them all with diesel buses, and now they're moving to hybrid buses and they're using electric buses now. And, you know, what the hell was the whole point of getting all these diesel buses if we're just going to replace them again? To which I sat there and I was like, so why did we take out the tram system then? Oh, sure, you know, the arms would come off and they're not too useful once it gets down to a certain temperature. But that was also the same tram lines that you were probably taking to school when you were my age in like the 60s and 70s. Yes, so, something changed and it became no longer effective. Why not just fix it? Well, or even just technology is getting better. We're getting updates all the time. So why don't we just upgrade? Because things get upgraded all the time. You upgrade your computer, assuming that the computer that you have is upgradable and it wasn't designed to die like a lot of software and hardware companies do now oh exactly what do they call that planned obsolescence yes yeah oh i hate it and then of course the right to repair is also just as important Mm -hmm. because if you can't fix it and you have to bring it in to get fixed and usually they're just going to tell you get a new one because what else is going to go wrong that's not right um sort of a company motto for me because i deal in hvac a lot is try to make these furnaces last as long as possible. Mm-hmm. And if you do notice a few other things ready to go, well, then maybe it's time to change the furnace out. Mm-hmm. But like, if it's a pressure switch, change the pressure switch. If it's an inducer motor, change the inducer motor. If it's the computer board, that can all be replaced. Mm-hmm. But make sure that if you're going to change out the whole thing, that it's necessary. Mm-hmm. So, I no, mean, I, I loved it. I loved it. Mm-hmm. I'm um, going back to, I guess, talking about the the parents. I mean, because this is an interesting thing that really stuck with me. When Chris first meets Jan and Rainey and they're sitting around the campfire and Jan asks about his parents, which in a way makes sense. Because she was a mother. Yes. And she kind of left that. Yeah. And like with the whole, he reminded me of my son sort of thing. So she's just like, where did you come from? Why did you run away? Like what happened? As a mother, this does speak to me. And because so she says, you look like a loved kid. Why did you run away sort of thing? And as we learn more about how Billy and Walt were, I mean... (sighs) What are, what are your thoughts on what the movie shows us and what Kareen kind of tells us about their upbringing? So they have what I would call a Stepford wife family situation. Mm. 
Everything on the surface and what they show you looks good and mm -hmm. right and proper. But in reality, anything that was not good, right, and proper was dealt with behind closed doors. Mm. And uh, it, it kind of got out. I mean, the parents were... First of all, the husband was married before. And right, and was they like have still, a half brother. Yeah, and uh, was like still technically married or something when they got together. Mm -hmm. Or like I guess eventually. Oh yeah, right. So like eventually they did get all that stuff settled, and so they could get legally married. But then there was this whole thing about how Chris is, you know, born out of wedlock, which I find kind of funny now both of the kids were actually oh yeah that's off. true because they're not actually that many it's just interesting to think about because i sit there and i go that's something that has happened for thousands of years and will continue to do so and i don't understand how much that would really change your view of the world but then again we don't really know what specifically they were told when they were growing up i mean she says kareen says that this shattered chris's worldview in a way it, they, what they were kind of told when they grew up is that their parents were actually always together mm. uh, that uh, there was no other family there was no half brother and the, their family well his family dynamic was built on lies yeah. which really i don't know i think it's understandable that once he figured everything out uh, he wouldn't want to stick around mm -hmm. because then, oh, what else are they lying about? What else will they lie about? Like, you know, it, it's that, uh, it was even proven in the show because mm -hmm. the family had a divorce. Those who cheat on are with you will <laughs> cheat on you. You know, it's going to happen. So it's not right. Uh, the relationship wasn't good. And also, uh, as shown in the movie, mm -hmm. they did have that whole thing where the mother and father were fighting and she went to leave and he grabbed her and was like, you don't walk away from me. And he mm -hmm. was like pinning her down and she's like calling the kids be like, look what your father's doing. He's like, I'll do worse and all that. And mm -hmm. So his father isn't a good guy. Um, and his mother is probably not that great either. But... Like and you... He was tired of that whole, having that whole facade. Yeah. And he wanted to get away from that. And I, like, let's be honest, you can't solve problems unless you start breaking admitting eggs to them, or, right? Well, okay, that too. Like you have, in order to solve a problem, you have to actually say, okay, there is an issue here and you have to deal with it. Mm -hmm. um, like if, if somebody's bipolar, they're not going to be able to get help with that until they realize that they are bipolar because anything people try to do to help them, they're not going to accept. So... Yeah. I think it's very similar. Um, it's sad, but it is kind of the reality of it. So I think that all of this did lead up to him eventually leaving because he knew, he learned, he figured out, and he just wanted to get away from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, another interesting... I, I kind of wanted to stick with the parents for just a, a little bit more because oh, no, um, <laughs> you're not supposed to read too much into, you know, how like an actor is in their everyday life and then like the performances that they do. But William Hurt passed away um, recently. I think it was last year that it was. And then as um, 
uh, when he passed away, one of the first things that I actually learned was people saying, oh, yeah, did you know that he raped, you know, a whole bunch of women like he was a serial sexual abuser and things like that through the 80s and 90s. And I was like, nope, didn't know that about him. I didn't know that either. <laughs> and the weird thing was that I'd already seen the movie and I really liked like the the, 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 the very creepy menace that he has, because when they're at the table um, when he's like, oh, so, you know, you've graduated from college. And so looking what are you going what are you going to do next? And it's like, oh, I'm looking into going to Harvard Law and whatnot. And it's like, hmm, nice. Well, we'll certainly assist you in that and we'll get you a new car. And everything he does is like everyone around the table is very cautious in how they put together their sentences towards him. And if you didn't notice as well. <laughs> He doesn't look at his son when he's talking to him. No. Yeah, no. no. I did I, not. I did remember that too. And then as we see later when they're when they have the home movies and things like that, when Chris brings him the telescope, I'm pretty sure it was a telescope that he gives him for his birthday that one time. He says, here's this token for you again, kind of being that whole, this is kind of bullshit sort of attitude that he's already starting to cultivate. Um, but the way he's talking about them and he's like showing this off to this crowd that's before him while his kids who got him the present are sitting out of view of everybody else and he just kind of looks over and it's like thanks a lot and just like keeps talking to everybody else it was just it was just very interesting because then finding out about <laughs> the kind of person that William Hurt was <laughs> in real life I'm sitting there going it's really weird when you you hire an actor and then you find out about what they're like in real life and then you're just kind of like this is weird that they just did this so naturally <laughs> oh well some... <laughs> again it's like it happens it's uh it, it does i didn't know very much about him because i don't really pay attention to actors or actresses that much so uh, <laughs> I, but i know from no, experience they, they chose a good guy for a creepy uh, you know a creepy father figure or mm -hmm. a very I don't want to use the term creepy. I want to use uh, dominating yes. father figures. Yes. And so by all means, I guess he was very dominant in other things. Mm-hmm. Maybe too dominant. <laughs> but uh, it is what it is. What about the mother? Well, the weird thing of, I find with this, and again, it definitely works, is like she's there, right? And she very much is trying to like kind of keep things going. And then as we learn more about her, and it's like that that is... Who she was in the relationship you know he's the engineer he's the genius or whatever who just knows things and she's the one who is the hustler to get things going and you know find work and things like that but then she's also the one that you know gets blamed all the time whenever things seem to kind of come around um and i i feel with what little we see of his parents, the Marsha Gay Harden did really well with just being the bubbly personality that is like, you know, the smile is starting to, you know, kind of turn into like a, um, what's a, what's a term that I would use for it? It's like the, the, the makeup's it, fading. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, she's still smiling, but you can tell now that it's more of kind of like one of those agree with me or I'm going to kill you or something like that. Yeah. 
I will say that uh, I understand why they became a couple and, you know, got married and all that and had the kids. They are a power couple. Mm, yes. He has the uh, the understanding and ability and mm-hmm. she has the drive and the people skills. Yes. So they were absolutely an amazing power couple. Kind of reminded me actually of uh, Gargoyles. We'll have to get into with, that. Uh, with Desdemona and um, uh, Goliath, you mean? No. No? Nope. Uh, with the guy, the evil guy, Z. Oh, Xanatos? Xanatos and uh, his wife, and I don't remember right. who at all right Oh, now. yes, right, 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 right. And the one that he basically comes over to her, or invites her over for dinner and goes, we should get married. Mm, and she's like, what, yes. why? It's like, I'm a powerful person, you get results. It just works. It just works. <laughs> and it kind of does. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, again, this is an interesting thing that I feel because this situation, I feel, is again, isn't so unique. It's It, it kind of goes back to what I've been saying about how, why is Chris's story in particular so unique and so special that everyone you know, starts to kind of remember him because I can sit there and I go, go, I could probably go out and talk to random people and I could find someone who had a similar family upbringing as him, who had similar parents, maybe not on the same level of, you know, designing the radar system to help us get to the moon or whatever the hell, but someone who, you know, is a thinks of themselves as a genius or was coddled in that way and therefore has that mentality has an ego <laughs> yes i mean it's not hard for it feel like it's not hard for men to have an ego especially if have egos too. oh i know I, I i know i know i just mean especially from a like certain generations well i mean if you look at it from the societal level of what society was Men would be the risk takers, mm-hmm. and women were the uh, backbone of society. Mm-hmm. Is the best way to put it. Yeah, men would go take risks and either succeed or fail, whereas women would, uh, generally speaking, they turned places into uh, great cities. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you think back to the cow uh, to the pioneer era, by all means, eighty guys all together—that's a work camp. Yep. If it's 80 guys and 40 women, that's a town. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, yep. you know, that it with them coming in, it made the society. It made that all stick. So uh, they come from a different era, and mm-hmm. that's just the way it was. And, I mean, same with our parents and their generations and that. It's the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, society does change, and... It always has and it always will. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a fluid. Although, you know, I, again, don't necessarily hold anything against the want to go and live off the land or whatever, you know, just kind of test your metal in a way. But I do kind of look at it and you're just like, I'm just going to go out there and I'm just going to wing it. It's just like, um, okay. Like, you clearly are someone who has never wanted for anything in their life. So you don't really understand what hardship is like. It's true. Um, I do think he would have... 
It's very true. I <laughs> I would agree, though, <clears throat> and I would say that maybe he should have taken a few courses. Like, in Australia, or not Australia, in Alaska, they <laughs> actually do have mm, courses yes, that right. they teach in school for yeah. wilderness survival. I mean, they have to. Yeah, because it's so... Because <laughs> it's right there. It's hostile. It's so hostile. Well, I don't want to use it. Hostile. Yeah, it's so... It's it, not it's necessarily it, that it, it's, it's right in front yeah, of them. Yeah, yeah. It's, mm-hmm. it's all around them. It surrounds yeah. them. Uh, unlike, well, up here in Canada, it's kind of there, but we still have that buffer. Mm-hmm. Uh, out there, they don't have that buffer. So you have to know what you're doing. You have to be able to make a splint. You have to know what berries you can eat. Mm-hmm. Uh, and all of that important stuff. He probably would have benefited if he, uh, if he just ha- asked questions up there more. Mm-hmm. He was in town a couple times. And that. Yeah. So why didn't he just, he should have asked for a little bit more help. I mean, because you see that when that's he. That's kind of his age thing, yeah. though, right? He, he didn't want to. He wanted to do this on his own. And he did okay for a while and then failed. But I mean, because he was, because uh, we see that when he gets out of the truck and he gets on, on out on the walk and the guy says, here, take my boots. Because, like, you just have shoes and like we're still in the breakup so like snow is going to be deep and again this is 1992 we're talking 30 years ago and winters were probably a little bit worse then than they are now i don't think they're worse um we're in for a really bad one this year apparently but uh, maybe more consistent would be like in terms of like there is going to be this much annual snowfall all the time because, like, trends for that are starting to, you know, change. It's true. Yeah. Um, I think... Uh, A different type of hostile. <laughs> yeah, I think that guy, prob- probably the guy who drove him there, did actually try to convince him, hey, come to town mm-hmm. first. Let's get you set up for this. But he just wanted to do this all on his own. So yeah. he's very selfish about it, but... You know, you got to have that society. You have to have those people. And he even said afterwards, like, give me a call mm-hmm. because he wants to know how he's doing. What, so what the heck was uh, so that? So they don't name him in the movie because he is effectively just an extra at that point. Yeah. Um, but the person specifically who takes him uh, to uh, the Stampede Trail is uh, Jim Galleon. And, um, like he, like he was interviewed quite a bit cause he's the last person that saw him, alive. saw him alive. And he like was on record of just being like, yeah, this kid shows up. He has a light pack. He like doesn't have any boots. He's got a 22 and a brick of ammo. Like, okay. And you're just going to go out and survive now in, in winter <laughs> in like the end of the transition of April into spring in Alaska. Yeah, it'll be fine. Are you sure you don't want to maybe wait a month or two so that it's not as hostile? Because he even asked him questions too. It was like, what's your experience? What have you done? Have you even gone camping and things like that? And it's like, ah, sure, we went camping, my family. I mean, we don't necessarily know if they went actual camping like you and I think of camping or if they go camping the way a lot of other like middle upper class people think of camping where you know get the rv and all your shit 
and just go out somewhere that's just like, mm, not quite the sticks, but, you know, still pretty close. The gas station is like a five minute drive away. Yeah. And there's like a little corner (laughs) store down. down Oh, yeah. uh... (laughs) You you paid some lady money and she's like, oh, did you want to buy firewood? We have it all chopped here for you. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. 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 No, uh, (laughs) I mean, I'm pretty sure they the police grilled him pretty hard because. uh, I mean, in his point, in his position, he kind of let him do it. Mm-hmm. So, is that a uh, like an assisted suicide charge? Right. Like he should have tried to stop him, and mm-hmm. obviously he did. He obviously tried to help him out and stop him. Mm-hmm. I'm more than like from the questions that were asked that you're saying he asked. He absolutely did his best, but mm-hmm. this is what Chris wanted, mm-hmm. and unfortunately, he got it. So, <sighs> yeah, <laughs> it, it's sad, but it was. It is what it is. Uh, I mean, this is not an un- uncommon thing. There are people that go up to Alaska all the time and mm-hmm. they never come back. They are never heard from again. They usually do die. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is an unforgiving place. It's a very unforgiving place. As is the same if you go to the territories here in Canada. Hell, even if you just go to the northern parts of our provinces. Even if you head to the <laughs> west part of Alberta. Yep. Like... Uh, you know, the mountains are yep. terrifying. Mm-hmm. Like, a lot can happen. Weather changes quickly. Yeah. Like, it's, nature is unforgiving. Mm-hmm. And uh, one thing that I'd like to point out in here is we used to live with nature. Mm-hmm. Like, especially being Métis and Aboriginal, they used to live with nature. And a lot of people don't realize that the Aboriginal people did craft nature to work for them. A lot. A lot. They built trails to go down. Mm-hmm. They lined it with bushes so that way they had food on the way. They would burn down uh, sections of forest so that way they would be able to hunt. And they kind of adapted the uh, the environment to live as such mm-hmm. and uh, keep everything kind of going. This kind of goes into our uh, conservationism, right? Yep, right. So because he's going to somewhere in Alaska where the environment has not been conditioned for us to live with. Mm -hmm. It is extra relentless. It doesn't care about you. It's not going to help you. It reminds me of this one uh, comic that I saw where uh, there's a kid saying to Mother Nature, oh, you know, I'm so sorry about everything we did. And Mother Nature's like, come here, child, it's fine, and starts hugging him. (laughs) And goes, you know, everything will be fine. I will survive. Everything happens. And then, of course, um, the kid's like, well, you're, you're hugging me a little tightly. And she's like, don't worry, everything will be fine. And then he starts like trying to speak, but he can't. And she says, everything is going to be great. Everything I will continue to live. (laughs) So a lot of people don't realize that, you know, it's kind of my big gripe with environmentalists. Yeah. Is that they don't realize the environment is scary. And it will change and adapt to things that we don't understand or know. Mm-hmm. And is it our place to push it and bend it to what we want? Or is it its own will? Um, I don't know. But I like this world that we have. Mm-hmm. I do like the wilderness in Alberta. And I would like to kind of keep it similar to what it is. 
and I like to extend it so that way other generations can see how it is. Mm-hmm. Maybe make it a little bit more tolerable, not change it into all, you know, a city, one giant city. But like, you know, keep things how they are, have our natural wildlands, mm-hmm. but allow it so it's a little bit more safe for everybody. Just yep. a little bit. You don't want things to turn into mega cities like they have in in Judge Dredd's world. I'm fine <laughs> with mega cities as long as they go up and not out. Ah, right. right. I'm all for more population in cities, uh, but I do not want this sprawl. I think Edmonton sprawls way too much, and that's a person who has to go fix furnaces all the time. Well, it is way too big. I mean, I say that considering that Edmonton is one of the more compact cities in Canada and North America, I should say, when it comes to like cities over one million population. Really? I thought it was one of the higher uh, spreads. Uh, No. Really? Considering Calgary, like Calgary is like twice the size in terms of area spread out and they Calgary continue to the population no 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 okay. they're um the the populations are actually really close so edmonton like the city of edmonton is like just under a million or something like that and then the entire you know metropolitan area so including you know fort saskatchewan st albert um Leduc and whatnot brings it up to like 1.3 million or something like that and calgary has a population of like 1.05 or something and then if you include Airdrie and Okotoks and whatnot and it comes up to like about 1.3 or something like that surprisingly enough Edmonton the greater area of Edmonton is like 100,000 more than the greater Calgary area (laughs) at this at this time it used to be that yeah Calgary was always like had a way higher population than Edmonton because it's Calgary. Everybody goes to Calgary. Nobody comes to Edmonton. And then around, funny enough, during the pandemic, I guess a whole bunch of people just fled Calgary and they came to Edmonton instead. Makes sense. <laughs> but yeah. But it is what it is. Um, no, I, like I said, where were we? <laughs> well, we were, you know, talking about like communities and, and the like. Um I I was going to say um interesting thing with what you were saying about um why Chris was wanting to do this and you know hostile environments and things like that that I was going to point out that one of the places where I was doing research to kind of get not necessarily alternating views of the story but just kind of to get different perspectives the same reason why i wanted you to watch the movie it's like we're both outdoorsy people you are a way more outdoorsy person than i am because you have way more experience at it because of the family that you've grown up in and so i wanted to see kind of what your opinions on that were and similarly i was curious you know what were people that were from alaska were feeling so uh a fellow by the name of craig medred who lives in Alaska, he had written a number of, I guess we can say takedowns of Into the Wild. And his big thing is basically just going that Chris McCandless is a thief and a poacher. Like, because 
you know, he killed a moose out of season and didn't have a license or anything like that and let it go to waste. And, you know, that's kind of a big deal <laughs> for people from the area. Um, it absolutely is. And uh, I will say that to say that he's a poacher, yes, I'd agree with that. To say that he's a thief because of it, not really, because he was going to use as much as he could. Mm -hmm. He failed. Mm -hmm. So I, <laughs> I, I only partially agree with him on that. Mm -hmm. But I will say that this guy was definitely not prepared. He mm -hmm. wasn't done well. One question for me that I have for you is, did he know about the bus? Is that no. where he was heading for? No. The, okay. No. That, I think, was like a fortuitous, you know, break for him. I think he was more than happy to just perhaps rough it, set up a lean-to or something like that. And then he found the bus and then he was like, oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, that takes care of shelter. And whoa, it's got a stove and everything in it. Bonus. So one thing I found very odd about the way the movie portrayed everything is... He worried more about food than he did... Um, like anything else? Like, when you're in a survival <laughs> situation, which he's going off grid, you have to uh, consider it. Mm -hmm. Your first priority should be food. Or it should be shelter. It yeah. should not be food. After that, it's water. Mm, yes, because you're going to dehydrate yes. way faster. So, like, the way that the breakdown usually goes is, first of all, you need to make sure you have air because mm -hmm. you're not going to last... 30 seconds without oxygen mm -hmm. but usually that's covered usually people are good with that um then you need your uh you need uh, shelter mm -hmm. and clothing kind of falls into that because if you are exposed to the elements you will die quickly especially in a place like alaska mm -hmm. at most you have a couple days mm -hmm. the next thing you need is water and then you need food mm -hmm. and then after that you need to make sure you find medical supplies or uh, ways to deal with uh, injury. Mm -hmm. And then you need to build... Uh, or no, no, sorry. Uh, after water, it should be fire, if I'm correct. You need to make sure you have fire. Ah, uh, so Cause fire now is you super have important. heat, right? Yeah. Well, it's not just heat. You also have a way to make water, and you have a way to uh, cook food <laughs> and stuff. When you, when you get the food. <laughs> fire is very important, and in the long dark, one thing that is very true in real life is you do not want it to go out. You want to make it and keep it going. Even if it's just a spark, mm -hmm. you have to keep that going. Did you ever play Don't Starve? Or did you hear about I've it? I've heard about it. I've yeah. never played it. Maybe we can do that one. It's, a sim it it's, fun. it's similar in that, except it's more cartoony. Because like the whole thing with that is that you need to have your fire going because if the fire goes out, then the creatures of the night and things like that will like kill you immediately. Yeah, that makes <laughs> sense. That's that's basically the stories that they would tell kids because out there in the dark, it is scary. Mm -hmm. uh, you don't know what's there and it can get you because it can see you and you mm -hmm. cannot see it. Yeah, I mean, Don't Starve. Uh, don't Starve is kind of old. I mean, The Long Dark is old at this point too like don't starve came out in like 2011 or something like that so yeah it's a little bit older and um it's a it's a it's a roguelike so it's always going to be a different world when you start a new game and so different access to resources there's more trees here there happens to be more rabbits or something like that or oh no you spawned into a place where there's a whole bunch of wolves or boars or something like that so you might die 
within the first couple days because they're close to your campsite and you're going to spend so much time trying to relocate that you've lost all this time to harvest resources. So then when the darkness comes, you don't have a whole lot of time to, you can't build a big fire. And so it's just like, well, let's just, let's just try again. (laughs) Fair enough. But yeah, uh, the things that he kind of went through for his survival technique, I don't know if I totally agree with it. But again, I'm just going off of what the movie has shown me. Well, I mean, it's not too far off. Um, so, I mean, he calls it the magic bus. So I'm pretty sure that the reason why he says that is not because he was a fan of the magic school bus. It had it had a lot of what he needed. It had a yeah. stove in there. It had a mm-hmm. bed. Uh, there was a little bit of like... I think there was like uh, utensils in that mm-hmm. cooking utensils, which is very important to have because yeah. those are tools. Yeah. So I mean, so the the bus itself was a bus that had been kind of brought into place um, decades before when the area that he was in um, was a mining road because I don't remember the type of mineral that they were mining, but there was a mine operating in the area, and they were trying to make a road there so that it would be easier to move the equipment that kind of fell apart. So they kind of had paths and everything. And then they, um, they brought in these types of buses for the work crews, whether it be for shifts that would be working at the mine or for the construction people when they were still actively building things. And then Mm -hmm. before that fell apart. And this one was just a bus that, mm, they didn't decided not to bring back when they were um, probably cleaning broke up or that. Yeah, they probably broke down. And by the looks of it, because he opened up the engine compartment, and they probably took the engine because they needed the parts. Mm-hmm. So they just left it there. And then at the same time, since it was a path that was normally taken, if somebody needs shelter, mm-hmm. hey, look, they've got yep. shelter. And mm-hmm. honestly, that's it's a pretty big break. It's a very big break to be in. You know, yeah. Instead of having to set up a tent. You have your shelter and everything already there. Mm-hmm. You have access to a, a thing to control your fire. Mm-hmm. Like that's all. That's genius. Yeah. So I think the reason why there were. Like, that's a that's a God gift. Yeah. I think the reason why that there were utensils or supplies that were somewhat recent is because this bus had been there for years and this area wasn't unknown to people because that's one of the reasons why Chris decided to go there. Um and it uh the re- and how he was found so relatively quickly is because he was found by moose hunters when the season actually began mm-hmm. and they needed to take shelter and they were like oh well we're just going to go to the bus and they go to the bus and they're going oh something died in here oh yep something d- someone. <laughs> someone died in here <laughs> um and um so in a way, I again, if he asked questions around and got to know people in the area, he probably would have been told about the bus and he would have just sought it out as kind of a, I'll make my base camp here and uh, yeah, I'll, um, you know, just make this home and then whatever I want to do, I'll just do that every day. Whether that means I'm going to be, you know, gathering berries or hunting or... Trying to have a, you know, uh, trying to get in touch with my inner self or have a spirit vision or who knows what, you know, it was specifically that he's looking for in some ways. Only he knows that and he's dead. So we don't know. 
Exactly. <laughs> now, now that we've kind of talked through the whole story, <laughs> should we move on to the... Uh, well, I was going to ask you, um, because of what you had said at the beginning about how it was shot, so what did you think of it? Um, so Sean Penn, uh, who's the director, he is probably more known um, as an actor by most of the people that are listening to this um, because of, um, he was... Uh, did you ever see the movie I Am Sam? Oh, I love that movie, man. So it's one of my favorite movies. So he played Sam. Okay. Yeah. So he is very a lot more known as an actor and less so as a director. I don't know if this was his first time directing specifically, but I mean, it's one of his movies. Yeah. Yes. This one is his more well-known ones. Yeah. So, what are your thoughts uh, on that? Well, personally, I uh, loved the cinematography mm -hmm. and I, how can I put this? Like, this is kind of the wilderness that I see a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, Alaska and Alberta are different. I'm not going to lie. But uh, <laughs> this is, it, it's kind of like looking at it through my eye of how I see the Alberta bush. Mm -hmm. uh, the colors are vibrant, but not crazy vibrant. Everything is uh, nice. Mm, probably could have used more bugs, but <laughs> yeah, whatever. It happens. It was mostly winter. Oh, so, he, had he had plenty of bugs when he was uh, trying, trying to, to save that moose. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, ultimately, I thought it was excellent. The direction of the movie. Um, like even just, you know. The pacing of the movie was great. Yeah. Uh, I kind of knew the direction beforehand. Right. You know, uh, the, the end point, right? Yeah. <laughs> and I think they did a good job with it. Uh, I guess one other point with the direction is a question that I should ask myself and everybody should kind of ask is, does it do this person's life and death? Um, does it do it? Do I, what, what do I want to use? Does it portray it with a sense of humility? Mm -hmm. uh, does it do it good? I guess yeah. is the term I'll say. Does it do this sense of, or does this person's, does this movie, does this person's death a sense of good? Mm -hmm. or like, does it go right by them? Um, I don't think he ever wanted to be famous, which kind of sucks in his, in, in my opinion. But uh, ultimately, he did get a few good points across from the diary entries and stuff and that he wrote. Like I said at the beginning of this, the quote of yeah. happiness is only real if you share it. Mm -hmm. I think that's a beautiful quote and people really do need to understand that. There's a lot of people who think that the problems that they have with society is society itself. Mm -hmm. And it's not what they need to do is not look at society being the problem they should look at more about what their community is mm -hmm. and the community that they've built for themselves. And maybe they don't like it. Um, that was one thing I did try to discuss to Kevin when he moved out and tried to live on his own mm -hmm. is, uh, you know, community is important. You know this. I know this. Yep. You're unhappy because of the community you have built and you have mm. around you. Yeah. Uh, you may have done that because of success you want to be successful in what you did and it worked but you can always rebuild your own community nobody's stopping you well 
I shouldn't say nobody's stopping. Nothing is stopping you. But at the end of the day, <laughs> if it's what you feel you need, you should try to do it. And in some cases, if it means moving away to a remote location, sure. But don't leave out everything else. Mm -hmm. Maybe it is just the fact that you don't like the people you're with. Maybe it's... So you just need to go find new people. Exactly. Yeah. You know, it. you don't need to make a huge change to make a big difference in your life. Sometimes it's as little as stopping in a cafe you've never walked in before. Mm-hmm. Which... Um, I would say that um, perhaps that has more to do with writing and less so with directing specifically. But it was interesting to see that the significant relationships that Chris makes are 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 positive ones. Um, I mean, you know, there are significant things that happen that for different reasons, like again his run-ins with the law for various points, such as him coming back into the U.S. from Mexico because, whoops, yeah, well, you know, they did say that we could get to Mexico if I just keep following this river. <laughs> and and I've had whoops. Stand and I'd like to come back now. <laughs> and whoops, I don't have any ID because I got rid of all that stuff because I wanted to just be uh, on anonymous on, on my own. He's so lucky that they let him in. <laughs> well, he's so unbelievably lucky. Because yeah. they could have said no. Yes, they very much could have. This um, person was totally throwing them a bone. <laughs> I yeah. He probably lied through his teeth as well to get in, being like, you know what, I want to go back home and you know finish my schooling and everything. But like oh, I well. like I said, he has that advantage of being white. Yes, that's true. <laughs> that opened a fair number of doors with him i'd say um uh let um so i again with the still staying with the direction how did you feel about how they broke it up in terms of we start with him going into the alaskan wilderness going into the wild as it is and then he finds the bus and then we go back to the beginning to find out who he is. And then every so often we're cutting back and forth to, how's life at the bus, Chris? How are you doing? I actually did not like that myself. Mm -hmm. um, I know that they did, a, they did their best to like label when things were happening, but I must have missed it a few times or... Uh, or, they missed, or they missed it a few times because there are times where I'm like, oh, look, it's Alaska. Why the hell does it look like desert? Oh. Alaska doesn't have desert. Oh, okay. No, he's actually in like New Mexico, Arizona area. Uh, uh, yeah. That makes more sense. So it's a few things like that kind of I did not like. But uh, eh. other than that, like it is kind of good to go back and forth uh, because they are kind of showing where he gets the skills that he had mm -hmm. in Alaska or what he has when he is in Alaska. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was great, an okay idea, but I don't know. I must have missed something. I must have missed a few of those transition notes. So a good, so a good idea, so a good concept, but doesn't necessarily follow through every time. Yeah. For yeah. you. For me. Yeah. Like I said, I could have missed it. I, it could be there and I could have missed it, but oh well. Fair enough. One final thing um, has to do with music. Uh, so, I mean, there was some actual, you know, music that we heard, but mostly what we heard is we just heard a whole lot of singing. Yes. Um, <laughs> I am not 
You know, I'm not going to say I'm not a fan of Pearl Jam. I like I liked Pearl Jam. Mm-hmm. And uh, this song was good as well. Mm, but right. the, the Hard Sun song, it was good. I had it on my playlist for a long time. Mm-hmm. But it kind of overplayed for me because when this came out, I was in high school. And that song <laughs> became so popular. And I just got so tired of hearing that music over and over and over. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> so... So, what would you say at the at kind of the end of the day? So, it was good. It 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 kind of made sense uh-huh. for the music choices. Um, I do like how with uh, Hard Sun, the way it starts off, it does sound kind of like an uplifting song. Mm-hmm. But in reality, there is a good tone of melancholy that you don't totally notice at first. Right, and it kind of plays through, and especially if you listen to the music or the lyrics. Uh, it was a good choice. Uh, but like I said, I overplayed the music myself, so I was kind of like, uh, okay, I know this one. Yeah. I, I get it. I like it. I just don't want to listen to it anymore. <laughs> that was kind of my impression, but more. So I'm not really a big Pearl Jam fan, um, and that is more because... I'm not the fondest of uh, Eddie Vedder's voice, which, hey, you know, that that just happens. There are some people that they just have a certain voice and you're just kind of like, ah, that's okay. I, I don't need to listen to that more than is required. Is, is this their lead into continuing Carmen Sandiego? <laughs> I didn't necessarily have to. I mean, we do need to finally finish that up and we will, and we will. <laughs> I just mean more in the sense of, I am not overly fond of movies where the soundtrack is mostly songs. Um, I'm not saying like this sounds really weird coming from someone who is an opera singer. But I mean, when I'm watching a movie and they just keep, you know, playing licensed music or whatever. And I'm just kind of like, I, I don't need that if you want music or something like that you can just go write your own or you could just not have any music at all and you can just let what's on screen do the storytelling for you um so i'm not overly fond of things like this i personally find it kind of gratuitous so eh, that was kind of a um a knock a mark against the movie we'll say you know every, everyone did really well still and again, with what you were saying before about the song specifically, watching this movie, you know, long after high school and then going, oh, so that's where this song came from, huh? Yeah. Ah, well, now I know. Personally, I do. I, I don't mind Eddie Vedder's voice. Mm-hmm. But uh, like I said, it just overplayed for me. So. Mm, yeah. And I mean, I guess it's not. Um. What was I going to say? It kind of makes sense in a way why it was overplayed. So the book itself, Into the Wild, is actually on reading lists for junior high and high schools and has been for, I guess we could, it's probably safe to say 20 years at this point. So when the movie came out and, you know, Eddie Vedder 
writes a couple really good singles for it and it kind of just blows up and it's just like because there's all this stuff already built into it again going back to weirdly enough i still like the movie but like kind of the whole you know like almost turning chris mccandless into a saint in a way and i just sit there and i go why you know it's not like this doesn't happen every day somewhere in the world it's not like there aren't hundreds thousands of chris mccandlesses so what makes him so special so the thing is that makes him special is that he has more of a recorded story than a lot of these people mm, yeah. and because of that and because his reason for leaving is so known mm -hmm. uh this is sort of a i would say it's kind of a warning you know if you're going to do this make sure you know what you're doing because mm -hmm. the details are important. I mean, it even shows at the very end, the two berries look very similar. The difference is horizontal and vertical striking. Right. And then he realizes, oh, I ate the wrong ones. Mm -hmm. And like, that's when he was done. So I would say the reason why they, I wouldn't say that they lifted him up to sainthood. Mm-hmm. I would say that they're showing everybody his story and being like, hey, look what happens. So make sure that if you're going to do something like this, you know what you're doing. And, you know, maybe as well, uh, the way that I took this movie is it wasn't a movie about being alone. It was mm -hmm. a movie about having community. Because mm -hmm. like you said, he thrived in community. Mm -hmm. He did really well when he was in his communities. Uh, whether it was one person or a group of people that, that he was farming with, mm -hmm. or he was on his own with uh, when he was with, with Fritz, uh, yeah, when he was with uh, Fritz, yeah, uh, Fritz, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, at the end of the day, um, I would not say that he was a saint or he was sanctified. Uh, I think people are reading into it because mm -hmm. they want to see that. Because again, this idea is something a lot of us guys go through. I'm sure women do as well. So a lot of people go through, I'm going to say. Mm -hmm. um, but at the end of the day, I don't think that was the whole point of the movie. I think the point of the movie was community is important. Hmm. Fair enough. And I feel that that's a really nice note to end on, honestly. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks very much for that. I'm glad that you enjoyed it. I did, and I'm probably going to show it to a few people, probably David and Kevin. <laughs> We'll More just kind likely. of keep kind of keep growing the community, right? Oh, yeah. And uh, if there's anyone listening who um, you know has similar thoughts on any aspect of this, you know, if you think I'm being too hard on him or not hard enough or whatever, please let us know. I I really would actually like to know a little bit more about that because as we've been saying, this is something that is so normal in a way like this rite of passage in a way that he's going through is normal in a way well it's it's a desired thing is what i would say but i agree a lot of people do attempt something similar to this mm -hmm. they may not stay out there forever they may not want to stay over there over winter but they want to know if they can do it mm -hmm. and it's something you do kind of have to respect and I, like I said, I love this movie and I love this. Let us know if you guys liked it. Uh, mm -hmm. Please. 
catch us on our social medias. Yep. You either find us at uh, Gold Dragon Media on Facebook. Uh, you can find us at uh, Gold Dragon Media. Or what is it? No, we're... Uh, is it Gold Dragon Media on Instagram or is it Inconceivable Media? I always forget what our actual name is on Gold Instagram. Dragon. It's Gold Dragon. Okay. Gold Dragon Media. That's our that's our Instagram. And then we have Media Talk, assuming that Twitter, you know, lasts into the future. Who knows? Who knows? I we might get rid of it. <laughs> I haven't looked into Mastodon, so I'm not going to bother with that. Um, but, you know, even feel free to send us an email Gold Dragon Media, all one word, all lowercase at uh, gmail.com. Or you can find me on Facebook, super easy. Just type in <laughs> Guy and Toga, all one word. Guy and Toga, all one word. <laughs> if you want to specifically talk to Miles about this. <laughs> I do kind of handle most, more of the social media. But anyways, it'd be great to hear from you guys. Mm -hmm. And uh, until next time, I'm Miles. And I'm Cam. And we'll see you later. See ya.